Hey, this is Romancing the Zone, a podcast about a podcast about boys playing tabletop games. I'm Mel Bailey. I'm Ann Kern. And I'm Emily Cardamus. Let's roll. Oh, it's a 10. Just like hey, in average. This system. That's good for the system. <laughs> up the rules as we go that's true (laughs) so let's start off welcome back emily yeah thanks for having me on again now i get to be hosting while you're on the show it's my turn now (laughs) right so now i'm just gonna have to come back as a a guest for the third Mm -hmm. time yes where it's just you and Brittany, and then I'll have, like, completed the trifecta. <laughs> and then, I don't know, I get an award or something, I feel like. You'll definitely get a shirt out of it. Uh, we also realized that we'll have to do it at the end of the next arc, because that's, yeah, <laughs> that's been the trend so far. So next time, Anne. <laughs> now I'm worried Emily's going to push me under a bus or something. <laughs> <laughs> to get that. Watch out at Gen Con. <laughs> oh, shit. Fake calls, she says. Uh, but yes, Brittany is, or she was on vacation this past week. Uh, today she's mostly doing some traveling. So we are happy to have Emily here filling in for her. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about the exciting things that happened on this very long episode of Adventure Zone. <laughs> this very long, very, like, just action-packed episode. Mm-hmm. My first note here, to dive right into it, it's interesting. We get confirmation here that only Duck can see Minerva. Yeah, which we didn't we didn't know. I that that was my first note mm-hmm. too. It was like, oh, okay, so he's the only one who can see her, and he chose not to tell them that he could see her. Yeah. Right. So immediately some really interesting things going on here at the top of the show as we are in the water park ready for things to start popping off. I also as a quick side note, I def uh caught that Travis once again did the Magnus voice for Aubrey at uh, yeah, one I heard point. It. And I was like, oop, someone's been switching back and forth too much. <laughs> Somebody knows where yeah. his heart is. Yeah. I listened to this twice and I didn't catch that. I'll have to go back. It was only it was only like at the very, very beginning and mm-hmm. he switched it immediately. <laughs> and honestly, I mean, I Magnus sounds a lot like Travis, so I, I think it's an yeah. acceptable uh, thing to have happen right Mm -hmm. magnus is basically just travis with a little more like oomph behind it anyway yeah Yeah. Yeah. a little more gross travis but projecting to the to the balcony Mm -hmm. (laughs) i love it that's just the description of magnus (laughs) period yeah but i did love the the really quick conversation we get between minerva and duck and especially the uh the line, the like line that I really want to just like hold in my heart forever, which is ducks. Please. I feel a deep and profound desire not to die. <laughs> like, that's a really good motivation, just like in general in life. And, yeah, very good. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I, I was gonna say that I, I loved Minerva's pep talk and response because you know mm-hmm. she could have said a lot of different things, but again, they have this kind of time limit on their conversations that we know about that was previously established. So that may be part of it. But yeah. I think is is something to go to when someone's like, hey, I'm afraid of dying, to just say, I will see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Is, it cuts straight to what the person really needs to hear. And I thought that was mm-hmm. a really good choice on Griffin's part. Yeah. It was extremely good. And for being such a quick moment, it says a lot about Minerva. Yeah. I feel like somehow in that little back and forth, we get a lot from her. And it's not it's not the last pep talk we get either, because then... Aubrey immediately follows up with one for Ned, except that it's just move your ass, which <laughs> maybe was... You know, good pep talk. It's it's maybe not as good on, like, you know, 
uh, edited over a background of a peaceful mountain or something, and yet maybe it was what Ned (laughs) needed to hear. Right. Exactly. It fits to Ned's character, I think. Yeah. It was basically, I felt like it was basically like Aubrey, Aubrey meeting ned where he would like completely understand it because he yeah. would yeah. you know he, as much as boisterous as he is move your ass is pretty compelling <laughs> absolutely very straightforward i also did love that we got the continuation of the more water park puns oh yes change, let's get wet and wild no wet and wild is like down the street <laughs> like, and then sploosh and goosh was that the other one oh, yeah. apparently just you gotta make them sound as gross as we can like that's that's one of the keys here to naming your water parks. Goose. Goose is it's, it's upsetting to hear with <laughs> my is. ears. It's yeah. just not good. It's unpleasant, <laughs> for sure. Before they go in, they, they do, I guess maybe Duck didn't want to be left out of the motivational speeches, and, and his is just that it's wet anyway, so no one will be able to tell that you peed your pants, which makes me worried yeah. that maybe Duck has encountered this before. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> Duck's like, I mean, I'm not speaking from experience or something. Well, maybe I am, but okay. <laughs> Just take it to heart. Right. Duck's very practical about it all. Yes. He is. And what I was going to say, even with, with that little quick motivation for Ned, I think to me it's important that we have this moment at the beginning uh, just character wise that Ned did try to run he did try to go back to the car he, like he knew it wasn't gonna work but he had to try <laughs> he had to throw it out there and so for the the things that happened then throughout the rest of this episode it's an it's an interesting little detail yeah it sets him up for an arc in this episode which is, absolutely which is very clever yeah absolutely mm-hmm so we'll for sure get more on him throughout the episode uh but here in the now, it's time to kick things off. It's time to start this fight. It's funny to me. I realized this listening to this the second time through uh, that Barclay goes into the the control room for the the wave pool, and that's kind of where we just we just leave him. <laughs> He's just like, well, I did my part. Godspeed. Yeah, it's a good way to protect your NPCs. Is just be yeah. like, yeah. go in this other room. You won't get hurt. I swear <laughs> to God. <laughs> well, I mean, admittedly, there was there was absolutely nothing he could have done. <laughs> Right. How oh, is sure. he going to, like, punch oh, it? I mean... Certainly. <laughs> so now in my mind, knowing watching. that he's in there, it's, yeah, for the rest of it, just, like, watching weirdly, like, oh, God, you guys, just be careful. <laughs> From within his little house or whatever yeah. it is. I also was really struck by, like, once this, this sort of battle started, um, we got, like, a lot of, the, like, uh, the music that Griffin's been putting into these episodes. Yeah. Like, this, like, very, like, sort of spooky, atmospheric, like, and it really struck mm-hmm. me how much he's improved as a musician over like the entirety of taz like it just made me sit lean back and go like oh shit this is really good like this is just it's it really fits the mood so well and not that it didn't before but it, it feels like it's at a new level now and i'm just like proud of i don't really know griffin but i'm proud of him yeah so well and that's especially since i don't know if we'll ever really dive too much into balance on the show but i have to say a quick sidebar when i was first listening to balance it's at the end of uh the pedals to the metal arc Mm -hmm. that we start getting a little bit of music Mm -hmm. and even that was enough for me to like notice and be like this is really pretty this is really nice whatever he's doing or like whatever music he found to fit in here is really nice and then the more music we were hearing it only took a couple episodes before i was suddenly like somebody has to be composing this for their show who did the music for (laughs) the adventure zone i look and i looked it up and 
was so offended that like how dare you be so (laughs) multi-talented uh that was my first response was you know what griffin fuck you but also you're amazing i'm so impressed so i'm i'm absolutely with you i think we're very lucky to have him be that talented as much as it makes me curse his sweetheart (laughs) but also just being able to like hear that progression is really cool yeah Uh, i don't think it's just that it's better see better music makes it sound like i'm dissing the original stuff which right I'm not at, at all i mean i still i listen to all the stuff from from balance because i love it but so i good. think that he's gotten a greater level of integrating the music with the atmosphere of the scene mm-hmm. so that yeah you're not necessarily super consciously aware of it but it, it still heightens your perception of everything that's going on which is you know if you're scoring if you're if you're scoring a film or something that's something that um, those composers usually strive for really heavily that that it's it's almost subconscious that you shouldn't be thinking about the fact that the music is there. It just affects the way that you perceive the scene. Yeah, I do think it it really. I mean, this scene you can feel the tension of it that this is actually mm-hmm. a very scary scene fighting oh, this water monster in a water park. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and when we get like because now we're getting the shape of the monster and bravo, you guys for having this wave pool idea because it does turn into takes this torso humanoid ish form and is in doing so is kind of knocked off its game a little bit by the waves affecting how how well it can maintain what it's doing yeah on a technical note i did really enjoy the fact that the way that griffin dealt with this like wave pool plan was to just be like all right everyone gets a plus one ongoing bonus like so smart. while it, they're while it's in the wave pool, like that's just a really smart way to mechanically deal with a narrative element. Yeah. Um, yes. That I really appreciated as someone who's like trying to get better at DMing or GMing or whatever we want to making the game run good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think that the system is is working very well for them in just not being distracting from the story that it does really integrate well with with what they're doing that I think you're you're less conscious of the mechanics of the game even though they're still there yeah. and they're still functioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's cool to see how then they can use them effectively. Yeah. And how that enhances like you said it's the story itself that gets enhanced by it instead of almost like meeting barriers mm-hmm. we're not worrying about what spells you actually can cast <laughs> or if it's going to take an hour to uh revive a corpse that you found in a in a cave that magnus swears was talking <laughs> no but then you get something like uh like how griffin handled the wave pool or how mm-hmm. travis chose to use aubrey's successful fireball to give advantage yeah. to ned in mm-hmm. the future because from a story standpoint, he was the one who had the the most power over this monster because of his his yes. nerf blaster. Well, and even I do want to mention here uh, before we get too far away from the wave pool, Griffin again always painting his beautiful word pictures describes the way when we when we can sense after Aubrey steps in, we can sense that the monster is here or the abomination is here, and he uses this description of this this ripple going out and back towards the middle of the pool. And I wanted to mention it specifically because just before we got on this call, Anne, you sent us this video that depicts that exact thing that Griffin describes. And it's beautiful. And I don't know what you were even (laughs) looking for, but good find. I was, I was interested in the strategic plan of using the wave machine. And I was trying Mm. to find some video that I thought I had seen years ago of 
waves colliding and what happens when waves collide. Because I, I, I mean, I, I have a good mental picture, but on my second listen, I was like, okay, I kind of want to see this while I'm listening to it. Um, and I couldn't find what I was looking for, but what I did find was this uh, wave machine, giant wave machine in Japan that they were doing a demonstration of. And it was doing almost exactly what Griffin was describing. And I don't know for sure. He may have seen that video. It may have been completely from his imagination just or his knowledge about how water behaves. But it did really make this, the level of intensity of the scene hit home for me. of like, oh man, yeah. that is really genuinely scary and creepy seeing water do that. Absolutely. So I'll have to put it on the Twitter. I think. Yeah, we will for sure share it. And especially for, you know, Brittany's mentioned it on the show before, that she's so visual. So especially if you're somebody who it helps to have to actually see the thing that's being described, this video will do it for you. Yeah, because I definitely feel like I didn't have, I sort of had a mental image of what was going on, but I think it was more, I think it was unfortunately more like uh, the end boss from Sonic Adventure 1 (laughs) in in some ways. And I don't know what that says about me. Uh, But this great thing. I think this the this video of the wave pool that uh, just the way that the water moves and how slowly it moves mm-hmm. is like really mm-hmm. foreboding, and I'm like, oh okay, yes. that is way creepier than what I was thinking of. So and the fact that you're like, oh, this is real. So even what I was imagining, the reality is that oh, it does just look that creepy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then to get even worse from there, it starts turning humanoid, which we need to start the calling Aqualung because that is an an excellent name. <laughs> I just I'm I I have a feeling about that and it's because Travis sets it up as this really good joke and it's just a ref it's just a like reference it's fine. yeah <laughs> and then he's like wait a minute why didn't everybody applaud it's like, it's not a, you didn't have like, any punchline to the joke you just said a word <laughs> I was so angry he just wants to be appreciated Emily I appreciate don't it. we all. <laughs> Fair enough. We we do. We appreciate you, Trav. And you know what? It does give us at least then a name to call this thing. Because now this is where, uh, like you were saying, the the fight is on. This is where all the action starts happening. Aubrey uses her attack that kind of, you know, these, these are the mechanics that her attack can feed into helping out Ned in what he's going to do. And Duck does the same thing. Yeah, and I, I, I feel like I'm going to backtrack now that I said about this game system and it integrating better into the story, but I also felt like in this scene that the delight that you have when they get a really good role and they're super stoked about it, yeah. I think I think that, that that emotion, that additional emotional reaction in an action sequence makes it way more interesting than, than just people describing what's happening. Mm-hmm. That there's something that sure. adds some element of, of excitement to it, I think, of not of not knowing how their role's gonna go and then being yeah. able to participate in it when they're they're really excited that they get a good role. Yeah, I also really enjoy the fact that the system allows for the players to really take a lot of agency in what their actions are. It's not just mm-hmm. like, I'm going to hit them with a sword. It's yeah. it's the whole description of duck climbing down into the wave pool and just like, I, I'm going to just stab the water. I get, like, is this anything? <laughs> like, it gives it, it gives a lot more just, it, it feels less like just like, okay, it's a, here's, we're in an encounter, we're in initiative, we're in a fight scene. Yeah. It, it just yeah. feels like, okay, well, there's fighting happening, but we're still telling the story and it yes. it works out really well, I think. Yeah. It allows 
Justin to say, I don't know if this is even going to do anything. (laughs) And Griffin to say, that role was dope. It absolutely does something. Here's how we can build on that. Yeah, it's it's great for storytelling. It's very collaborative. I think think Mm -hmm. in D&D and some other games, the the rolling system feels more like you trying to extract something from from the GM. Mm -hmm. And this feels more like just a structure to collaborate with them. For sure. And regarding storytelling, this is actually where we start getting into the other really great aspects of this episode in particular. But before we do that, I do just want to take a moment uh, to appreciate Ned saying hello to my spongy friend because (laughs) it just, like, it's a dorky reference to make and it's such a dad thing to do (laughs) that I just, I really appreciate it. And I just wanted to shine a little light on it. It was very in character for Clint and Ned, I think. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) exactly that. Yes. Uh, But then Aubrey is spurred into action here, and I described this as her beginning to tap into her airbending. <laughs> That's how I thought of it, too. I was like, oh, she's learning a new <laughs> yeah. element. Like... And as this is awakening, she doesn't know what she can do. She just knows she wants to do something to help her friend who's about to be hurt. And in doing so, this is the moment that establishes this um, this recurring thing in this episode, which is these these flashbacks we're getting for these characters. And starting off with Aubrey here... We do learn right off the top, Homegirl was hashtag blessed. Yeah, and that Dr. Harris Bonker's original name was Nugget, which is a very cute, funny name, (laughs) I have to admit. It is. Also, I love the way you just said, I I usually say Nougat, but you said it cuter. Oh, should I not say it? Isn't that not how you're supposed to say it? I love it. (laughs) Is this a Kentucky thing? I don't know. (laughs) It might be. Everybody right now, say Nougat or Nugget or whatever you say out loud to yourself. And then... (laughs) tweeted at us i think i was struck a lot in this scene and and it's a it's a character contrast i've seen throughout amnesty of the contrast Mm -hmm. between aubrey and duck duck being the character who's supposed to be the chosen one like the prophesized hero and aubrey going out and searching for not that in particular but searching for something like that yeah Um, she's looking for notoriety right but not like in a shitty way right whereas duck has been it's been forced on him and he doesn't yeah. want it um no, and and i point. just i think this this backstory scene in particular really struck that concept a lot like a lot i also wrote down mm-hmm. uh that aubrey was going on her pokemon journey because <laughs> it was very <laughs> much it. like well tomorrow you're going off mm-hmm. into the world and i'll never see you again go get those gym badges be careful in that tall grass they'll jump out at you yeah i i liked this this choice that that I think I had assumed about Aubrey because, you know, she's kind of punk or whatever, that she mm-hmm. had just run away as a troubled teen or, yeah. or her parents had been killed or something. You know, that there was this kind of dark backstory. Right. And I and I, I think I like this version better because at first I was kind of like, well, okay, but this, there's not a lot of conflicts here. And maybe that was kind of an odd choice. But I think then it makes this a, not about Aubrey rebelling, but yeah. about Aubrey's search for identity. Yeah, which is yeah. a much deeper character motivation than than totally any of those agree. kind of obvious surface choices that they could have made. Right, it sidesteps that trope of "ooh, trouble teen" yeah. has always been left to her own devices. It's like, no, she's she's just trying to figure out what she wants to do. She yeah. feels like this is what she wants to do, mm-hmm. and she has loving parents who, for the most part, support it. And I, you know, we even get this. When she's talking to her mom about the fact that, like, all of these things in her life that her parents have supported, she's had what a lot of people, I think, would say is a a pretty ideal 
upbringing Mm -hmm. and a very loving house and a very supportive family. And like you said, she's not rebelling against anything. This is about her. This isn't about fighting anything. This isn't about sticking it to anybody. She's just doing what she feels like she has to do. Mm -hmm. I hate the fact, though, that I couldn't remember. So the, 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 the scene ends, and maybe I'm jumping too far ahead, and forgive me, but the scene ends with, like, this Imperial Crown coupe pulling up mm-hmm. to the house. Yeah. And yeah. there was a part of me that goes, that's significant. I don't remember why. <laughs> well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because these are exactly the kinds of things that we try to touch on just to make sure that, you know, everybody stays on the same page. That is the car that Ned mm-hmm. and his ex <laughs> were driving. And we know that Ned has the flame bright pendant, which just prior to this, Audbury and her mom were just her mom was just about to pass it on to her so this is where like essentially without having seen how the rest of the scene plays out we assume they're about to burgle Mm -hmm. the yeah what's Aubrey's little the little house okay I was there there I I couldn't remember for sure I'm like was that Ned's car I like couldn't (laughs) yeah it's Ned's car I'm glad that that was my instinct but I just wanted to (laughs) be sure I guess Clint didn't say it enough. I'm historically bad at remembering past details, so. (laughs) It does get confusing. Also, that was mentioned, I think, before even dust. Yeah. So, no worries. Uh, But that is what we can glean from this is that, you know, we know that Ned has the pendant, but I would imagine he Mm -hmm. doesn't. He's not aware of what he actually has. Yeah, that's life being a hoarder. You you have no idea what's in those bins. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But what I also really love about that scene, assuming that essentially Ned is about to rob Aubrey's family's home, is that then when we cut back to the present, it's Aubrey desperately trying to save him. Mm-hmm. So it's like this really great contradiction of of scenes and characters yeah. specifically mm-hmm. here. But the good news is, as we said, Aubrey is tapping into her airbending and she creates a dope barrier. Mm-hmm. I wish we had a video of the way that one's described. (laughs) Does anybody in Japan have a sweet wind machine? (laughs) Take take that, go to that cool wave pool, and then just get a giant fan, and then just start doing (laughs) some stuff. See what happens. Yeah, just you know, experiment. But yeah, it's it's enough to be successful in driving Aqualung to retreat, which is of course not necessarily ideal. Having the water monster retreat. And they have yes. to call on Pigeon to stop it from fleeing hey, Pigeon. outside of the water park. <laughs> yeah. I'm so amused that Duck didn't tell anybody that Pigeon was coming. <laughs> yeah. I also I was also deeply amused by the fact that every everyone's reaction was, is just everyone you know and named after birds? <laughs> Do you just have a bunch of bird friends, Duck? <laughs> yeah. That's his, that's his little gang. I am hoping they meet somebody named, like, Goose in the future or something yes. like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Robin. <laughs> and then they can yeah. be, like, the the uh, Baker Street... Shoot, what were they called? The Baker Street Irregulars? Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but they're just all bird children. I don't know. <laughs> teens. A bunch of teens. <laughs> Maybe a parrot. That would be nice, too. Yeah. A talking mm. parrot. <laughs> Getting a little exotic. 
Yeah, I did. I did love the fact that everyone was like, "Wait a minute, who is Pigeon? Why are they here? What <laughs> like, is this? Like, who are you shouting to?" And Duck was like, "I think this is the last thing we need to worry about right now." <laughs> Which those are those moments where you're like, "Duck, why didn't you tell somebody you had?" Well, I don't. I, I, it's funny because I think that also speaks to like, why wasn't this discussed earlier? One, that Duck is like, "Hi, everybody. Here's my other bird friend. Her name is Pigeon." But two. Maybe they thought he already had the the water shut off. I'm not yeah, sure. That I'm could sure. be it. We'll go ahead and give him that benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. But yeah, ben, uh, Pigeon stops that monster from going. And I like that even over with her, she can hear something happening in yeah. those the the pipes mm-hmm. that send it then back to the park. Yeah, and this just this description that follows of the water coming back into the park and being underground, mm-hmm. shaking everything, is extremely mm-hmm. ominous because you don't know where it's going to come up, right? Right. right. Is it going to show up in, what was it, fucking Toddler Cove? Heaven forbid. (laughs) But it doesn't do that. Where does it go? The Lazy River. The Lazy River. Which (laughs) I was deeply offended by because the Lazy River is the most important park part of any water park because the lazy river is so sacred exactly and it's like I, I, I was like how dare you you turn this into a mockery that holy place <laughs> it can't be lazy if you're making it whip all over exactly. the place um, but yeah because that's because then that's when we it basically becomes like a giant water snake thing yeah. yes and and duck gets snake yeah duck has what it is attempts to be a beautiful moment of heroism uh, which yeah. fails miserably and causes him to be launched like 20 feet into the air. <laughs> which we mentioned before, lest anybody forget, in the previous episode we kept talking about how this would look as a movie and who would do what. I This whole, all of these action scenes I can see very much in an animated sense. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. This this scene is, is not completely dissimilar to um, part of the finale of Kubo and the Two Strings. Mm, Speaking of animation, that. there's there's mm. a, a a snake monster that they fight with a sword at one point. Um, oh. So it kind of gave me a reference point for for what was happening in this scene. Um, now we're gonna have to dwell on this for just a moment because a stop motion adventure zone would be <laughs> that would be so rad. fucking dope. Yeah. It would just be the most beautiful thing. Gorgeous. Now there's one more thing for all of us to want. Does anyone know anyone at Leica? <laughs> yeah. Listen, get Leica on the horn. We have a great idea for them. Also, if you do, please just get me a tour. That would be right. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right? <laughs> We've seen those little, like, for Comic-Con last year, they had, like, a little like thing a museum, you could go through yeah. and, like, look at the puppets. Yeah. Stunning. Yeah. You guys. If anybody gets a chance, go look at those puppets. They're amazing. But, yeah, we knew that this was coming. Mm-hmm. That the Duck was... I mean, I, I think we all knew that Griffin had this, this vision in his back pocket and that at some point this was going to happen. And, and so... Duck has this badass moment running at this water snake, but I think even before he rolled, I think it was like, oh man, I don't know if this is going to go so yeah. well. Um, well. That was what was interesting, because he even mentions for a second he considered making Duck bail yeah. before yeah. actually confronting this thing, which I appreciated very much. Yeah, but this is kind of his moment where he's he's not thinking about that anymore, and I, yeah, I do think stays. that makes sense, that you're just like, well, somebody's got to do it, so I guess it's going to be me. Mm-hmm. You roll a four. So yeah, my my our poor little duckling. Aww. Oh wait, is that his fandom name? Maybe it should be or duck fans ducklings. Uh, it absolutely is now. <laughs> that is canon. Uh oh, and good news, everybody. Listen, things are about to get real dark here in a second, but uh, Beacon does get in one quick. You're an idiot to duck before sweet boy is just sent flying. 
even the thought of like poor Aubrey and Ned, like the horror you must feel, yeah. and Barclay watching from his his little wave pool kingdom as your friend is just launched through the yeah. air. And even as Duck is headed toward the reservoir, I I was having. I had the quick moment of being like, oh, good, at least he'll hit water. But then again, yeah. water past a certain height. Yeah, it's like hitting concrete. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and even then, he he's not going <laughs> to, like, he does hit the water, but he also manages to clip himself on on this bridge and yeah. hits his head, which I'm just like, Jesus, he should be dead. Yeah. How is this? <laughs> Thank God he's the chosen one, because that <laughs> the homeboy would be dead. And then we get... Uh, duck flashback time mm-hmm. in which i was immediately like oh cool justin mcelroy is coming from my emotions with a knife again <laughs> yes <laughs> he's very good at that yeah i think that the uh the little sister took even griffin by surprise he sounded just very slightly for a second taken aback that just that, kind of like oh that justin threw that in there and i do want to point out on that note just an, a quick observation i had uh possibly barring irene because we don't know but justin's character's each have like an important girl in their lives interesting yeah i hadn't thought about that i guess maybe troth too i don't know yeah we don't we didn't get enough of, of her to right know. irene yeah. and troth we don't know his boy characters have important girls in their lives which honestly probably means nothing but just an observation and in this case he has made the decision the character choice to add in his duck's younger sister jane it raises the stakes in that scene enormously yes. and, it, and i think it does shift your perception of who duck is as a person because you know yeah. your relationship with your parents is a lot different than a relationship with a sibling and a relationship with a younger sibling especially a significantly mm-hmm. younger one since later he he decides to say that she's seven and we know at that yeah. point that duck was 15 wasn't mm-hmm. it so that that age difference also shifts the dynamic yeah that's a gap it did make me wonder if that's where duck came from as a nickname since mm. often younger siblings can't like say a sibling's name or something and that's it's that not would uncommon. Be cute. Though I do wonder. I love this idea, but then it almost makes me think that then maybe his mom would like it and he we learn later that she hates that nickname. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, still a possibility though. We'll have to wait and see when when mm-hmm. Justin in the finale, targets when we <laughs> targets our emotions from space yeah. again. <laughs> I did I, mm-hmm. I did really enjoy that. I don't know if it was Travis who pointed it out that the voice that like basically saying like the voice that Justin's doing is fifteen year old Justin. Bless it. <laughs> like, yes. That was a very sweet moment. And then yeah. Justin like so protesting, sweet. being like, "Now I'm gonna be in my head about it." Like, <laughs> yeah. I just thought that was really really cute. That was very sweet. Those are those little insights we all just love so much uh but regarding the backstory itself the way griffin framed it was so clever in this first bit with the fire we as the listener don't know that it isn't real there's some tension here there's some actual danger here and we're just kind of along the ride with him before of course ultimately learning that this is this is minerva's introduction to him yeah she's showing him this it this just opens up so many new questions yeah. And I thought potentially gives us an insight here because uh, we know that Duck is very big on fire safety and being very cautious around fire. <laughs> and I thought that maybe this is yeah potentially mm-hmm. a catalyst for that. I didn't even consider that. Yeah. And, and what Griffin was describing, this thing about the sun being too close and this beam and it's sucking stuff up, that was A, super buck wild and B, genuinely unsettling. Yeah. Even absolutely. for someone just describing, it's like, man, okay, this is really creepy. Yeah. What is happening? It's... And then I, I love that, that 
when when duck is woke awoken by minerva that his response is what the fuck because like five <laughs> seconds before i had Fair. whispered to no one in my room what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> it's just the gut reaction yeah <laughs> And then very real for him to be like, I can't deal with that in this moment. I need to go help everybody. Yeah. Because he, you know, it, especially waking up, it's, is was it real? Is there actually a fire? No, there's not. Also, mm-hmm. now that I can take a moment, what the fuck? Who are you? Right. <laughs> You're not a friend of my mom's, which I love that that, I mean, you know. That's what you would think of as like a kid or a teen. You know? a kid, it's like, like, wait, I also, why is this person in my house? I very much liked, are you computers? <laughs> You computers was so good. It's so good. My one note here does just say shirt idea, which is just I am not computers, Duck News. <laughs> it means nothing, and yet it's also everything. Yeah, that's very good. I would wear that shirt. <laughs> right? Let's do it. But she is not computers. Basically, Minerva gives him the rundown of like, hey, you've been chosen to save the world, I guess. And I'm going <laughs> to teach you how to do it. And and Duck's very, again, very practical response is, but I have school in the morning. You know? <laughs> or, or maybe I have class in the morning. I have class tomorrow. Which, I wrote that down. Yeah, which was a <laughs> very, it, it, I think from the beginning, makes you go, okay, this is just who Duck is. He's a very much yeah, a it's... tomorrow person. Yeah. Well, and she does actually say not just that you have to save the world, but that you have to save two worlds. Mm, right. So... Yeah either Sylvain or Minerva's world or maybe they're the same thing. We're not really sure yet. Also, we learned that she's a dope warrior and she's like, don't even worry about it because <laughs> I'm I'm going to be the one teaching you. Right. I love how she was like, you're going to be taught by the best warrior in like <laughs> in the world. And that's me. <laughs> that's me. Congratulations. But then we have to go back to reality and the situation that Duck is is really screwed right now. <laughs> and he's, mm-hmm. he's flying very, through the air screwed. and has hit his head. And I, yes. I, I did like that in this very dramatic moment that Griffin Griffin says Chuck Duck and then has to pause because <laughs> he thinks that's that's funny. <laughs> it is fun. Maybe maybe they could make uh they're always looking for merchandising ideas. You think they could do like branded cornhole? Hey Chuck Duck? Oh. Out. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's unique enough that I think enough people would get into it, you know? Yeah. A great party game. Take turns tossing Tossing your boy around. But here, these friends are going to go... Well, Aubrey's going to go check on him. And then we've got our brave Ned, who's going to draw this draw this uh, aqua lung away. Mm-hmm. And another quick moment to take. Clint does this great sound. He's done it before as Merle. He did it here with Ned. And I'm sure he's done it multiple times. It's this little like, oh, shit. The yeah. way he says it is just this perfect grumble. I love it. I love it every time. He did it again. I was like, I got to call this out because <laughs> it harkens me back to those moments where like he's frustrated, but okay, he's got to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And it's very specifically a thing that he does. And I think it's great. It's very grounding in these in these fantasy situations to have somebody yeah. who's going to be like, well, okay, I guess we're doing this. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just when he's really leaning into it, yeah. it is Clint leaning into that character. Um, because, yeah, he is going to be drawing now this thing away that he just saw throw his friend across H2O. That was fun. Yeah, we get Aubrey 
you know, then go after Duck. And I loved her little, trying to use this, like, newfound wind magic in every way she can. Yeah. And the little, like, when she jumped over the fence and just the little, like, thank you, magic. Like, <laughs> was, was like, very. Like, send in the back, thank you. Yeah. And then using it to, like, I guess extend her breath, though not in the yeah. best way. Um, yeah, and- I like that that kind of. There's a a penalty almost in that yeah. one that she does. I really like these these glitches and and consequences uh-huh. when you use magic. I think yeah. that's much cooler than having to be like, well, you have to have all these ingredients or time to prepare or something like that. It's a much mm-hmm. it's a much more fun kind of thing to do from right. from a story standpoint of giving this power to the GM right. to do something to you. It keeps you in the moment, and it keeps the character grounded. Yeah. Yeah, but she is able to get Duck out of the reservoir. And I did love Beacons immediately, like, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> like, oh, this looks better. I'd rather go with yeah, this one. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm yours now. <laughs> he saw an opportunity, he tried to take it. <laughs> yeah, I admit I wondered when he went into the reservoir. Like, he's he's unconscious. He's not going to be able to hold on to Beacon. What's going to happen with that? And they don't really address that. I mean, I think you can, in the, in the course of the story, say, well, I don't know, maybe he was able to hold on to it anyway. Mm-hmm. But I, I came up with this idea of, like, maybe Beacon was like, well, shit, and just wrapped around his arm or something so he couldn't drop <laughs> oh, it. Oh, I was yeah. hoping you would say that. Which I think is adorable, so I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. That's canon now. We're going to forget that we made it up on this show, but that's canon now. <laughs> Because that's a very good point. I hadn't even thought about that. That yeah, he wouldn't be holding on to him. So then it would be Beacon's responsibility to don't don't get separated. Mm-hmm. Stay together, <laughs> buddy system. <laughs> Except with your magical sword. Do not lose your buddy, or you will both get in trouble on this field trip. And we we get payoff on the the um, I got class tomorrow bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that when Aubrey be... Joyce stuck up. Oh. That was very cute. I really liked that. This is this is just the gosh duck is really cute appreciation hour. <laughs> the duck Newton appreciators have logged on. <laughs> it is par for the course by now. Everybody who listens to the show knows what's up. I'm gonna listen. I'm totally a member of this crew, but I'm also now gonna hop over and throw on my um cap for being the president of the uh the Ned is way more noble than I think he realizes mm-hmm. club that I host every week. Yeah. Um, it's your podcast within a podcast. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We have we have the duck power hour. We have the... It is podcast the all, the down, <laughs> all, all the way down, All the way down. <laughs> um, I, I kind of took a moment as I was listening to this the second time because as Ned, we see then the, the uh, Aqualung goes to this the description of this park is really great, but goes to the kind of the, the core tower that leads to the different um, the water slides. Like, it's a big key point in this park. Mm-hmm. And, well, first, he, he kind of draws it there, He which is impressive in itself that he's he is trying to actively get it away from his friends. Yeah. But having to kind of face down against this thing on his own, I just had this moment where, like, my own personal hope... And thought maybe for Ned is that if this this kind of noble and kind person that we do see, like he cares about his friends and he says he says nice things to them and he's he does he wants Duck to be okay and he wants this thing to get away from them and he'll he'll take this thing on on his own, um, even though he's been portrayed as and plays into this cowardly role and we've seen it happen time and time again so that's all real for sure mm-hmm. but I do almost wonder if like. If the real Ned is this very noble 
person and that maybe life has been a series of bad hands being dealt to him and in time you know you sort of then just start leaning into it you lean into that well this is the best i can do this is what i've got for me i'm gonna be a criminal i'm gonna be a coward this is just the best i can do but that maybe if things had been a little different he would he would get to show more of this side that we see of him where he's willing to take on this thing that scares him very much but is gonna go face it down on his own just a little thought I had. Yeah, I mean, I think that you can get trapped in an idea of the person that you think you are. Absolutely. And I and I like that um, that he makes... I mean, and this is not the first time. I mean, so you could make an argument of why would Ned decide... Is it in character for him to just run at this thing and, and, and do this kind of desperate last resort to, to swim up there? I mean, this is very dangerous. This is more dangerous yeah. than the fights that they've had with this monster before, and he's now by himself. Mm-hmm. But yeah. at the same time, Ned is the only character who kind of doesn't have to be there, who doesn't have a reason to be there, because yeah. Aubrey has mysterious magical powers. Duck is the chosen <laughs> one. Yeah. Ned's just some guy. Right. He's just some guy. And so every decision that he makes has more weight on some level because he's just some guy and that at any point he could have run away and he chooses not to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have gotten to see this like arc of him over time building up to things like this. So the decision, I I think it does land really well and make sense and is quite powerful that he does choose to do this. Right. Exactly that. It doesn't feel out of character. It almost feels like it's way more in character then even he is possibly aware. Mm-hmm. So thank you all for my for joining me on my TED talk about on my Ned talk. Your Ned talk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna do it for us tonight, everybody. Just kidding. First, we have to talk about Ned's backstory. Yeah, and we're and we're kind of seeing a, a version of Ned sort of between moments where we've already seen because we've kind of yeah. seen him as you know sort of. You know, we've seen him as a criminal, and then we've seen him as the owner of the Cryptonomica, and now we're kind of getting this, like, filler, like, this in-between yes. moment, because, yeah. you know, as it's, you know, as Griffith starts describing all the things around this, you know, room that he's attempting to burgle, I start going mm-hmm. like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, I know this place, <laughs> we've been here before. Yeah, and we, and we know this is also right after the car crash. Right. Because mm-hmm. he's got a head injury. Mm-hmm. Presumably yeah. from the same... I think I think it makes sense that, yeah. that that had recently happened. So, like you said, this is the link between Ned on the lamb and Ned finding the Cryptonomica, which we had only known before was like we knew it had been had belonged to somebody else. We didn't know who it was. I think on our show, at least, I think I had theorized it was Mama for some reason. Um, but we meet the the proprietor here, the person who actually started the Cryptonomica, Victoria, who sounds amazing. She's clearly rough. She's clearly tough, but she also seems pretty chill. And, you know, she and Ned, despite the fact that Ned was just trying to burgle her establishment, they kind of hit it off. And I think this is another one of those moments that I was kind of referring to earlier where it's like, if things had gone differently, if Ned either made better choices or things had played out differently, would what kind of character or what kind of person maybe would he even be? Because obviously now he has the cryptonomica. We don't know exactly mm-hmm. how that came to pass. But in this moment of companionship between two people who it sounds like aren't the most sociable and don't <laughs> tend to have a lot of friends and people yeah. who want to talk to mm-hmm. them, it could be a defining moment and a shift from what at least Ned is used to. 
Yeah, I mean, this is definitely, there's a there's a theme of choices here. Like you were saying, of Ned making choices and, and also this Victoria making choices because if she had decided to call the police, which would mm-hmm. have been probably the most logical conclusion in this situation. <laughs> Absolutely fair, um, yeah. If she had done that, you know, that would have been curtains. He would have been arrested like his, his partner presumably was his, that we think we've seen yeah. in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, his ex-boyfriend yeah. so or Duck's ex-boyfriend. He made a bad choice to run away, but she made a good choice of letting him stay that prevented him yeah. from being incarcerated. Yeah. I also think maybe Victoria knows something's up in town. It kind of sounds mm-hmm. like it. That maybe maybe she, she has some kind of inkling of, of there being something out of the ordinary besides like right. this jackalope she stapled together. Right. <laughs> exactly. And we know that this isn't where the boys were getting their ideas, but similar to Gravity Falls, there is also that aspect of here's the front, but there's, Definitely more in the back. Yeah, sure. That I, de- I can't quite explain. Well, and, and she even makes the comment, and I don't remember it verbatim, but it was basically something along the lines of things don't just happen in Kepler. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, from what we've seen so far, pretty true. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> yes. I think with her, we'll either discover if she just has this feeling or if she's just kind of witnessed some stuff and she can't be quite mm-hmm. sure. Or has she had experiences? Has she you know, had run-ins with Sylvanians or what have mm-hmm. you. How much does she actually know? Right. And when did she give the Cryptonomica over to yeah. Ned? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you have to be a particular type of person to invite the person who tried to, like, mm-hmm. break into your establishment and steal from <laughs> mm-hmm. you to just, like, stay the night. So... Yeah. <laughs> and just be like, just you know what? That. This is the best social interaction I've had in years. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, well, well, come on in. <laughs> They're going to hit it off so well. These two best friends. I can't wait to get more of their shenanigans, for sure. And was there anything else there? Was there anything else in the backstory? That was mostly the... Yeah. It it was just that we got two more middle names for Ned Right. (laughs) Ninja, and I forget what the other one was. But yeah, he keeps... Uh, uh, I've lost count. Yes, I've lost lost count. We should be keeping a, a tally of this. We really should. We should keep a tally, and we should also you should also keep like a like a long list so that by the end of the series you can get a T shirt mm-hmm. that has all of them written on it, like Usador's name from yes, Magic Tavern. It's exactly. the whole thing. Yes, yes, I love this idea. That's good. That's good. Except I feel like at this rate, it will it will be like an all over print, you know, and it'll oh, go yeah. over to the back because there's just going to be too many of them. Yeah, like initially you would think it was just like a clever. Like, oh, they just have words all over this shirt. Like, and it's like, oh, I do, but it's literally somebody's name. <laughs> but then we're back to the present and back out in the moonlight, and Ned's going to take the shot. I think that we we get this context, like I was saying earlier, of somebody who took a chance on him. And so he's taking a chance on himself that he can defeat this monster in the present. And that's exactly why, again, to end my college thesis paper here... <laughs> Ned Chicane is the most noble character in the Adventures on Amnesty. Uh, but this really is, this is the moment in the movie that is so visually stunning because even the way Griff deci- describes it of, you know, Aubrey and Duck are watching from afar, mm-hmm. you can just imagine this this tower that leads to all of these slides and it's a little warped by the water yeah. and the moonlight and you can just see Ned's silhouette and even as he's, the water's trying to push him back, but he is able to take that shot. Yeah. And it's so fucking momentous. 
I did have a sort of vaguely relevant Aqualung song stuck in my head ever since this episode. And it was, it was, and I didn't realize, I didn't think about the lyrics at first. I was like, oh, I guess that's just the one that got stuck in my head. And then I realized, oh, it's actually about things falling apart. So I guess maybe that's where this came from. This like final battle has scored by Aqualung. (laughs) It all comes together. Because now we need someone to make an animatic or something set to that song. We can come full circle. <laughs> it yes. is definitely not an action-packed sort of song, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> you gotta just shoot it in a very dramatic, you know, somber type of way. If everything was in slow-mo, it would it might work. Exactly, just do the whole time for the whole <laughs> yes. thing. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I love it. Signing off on that one. Good idea. But then everybody does take the shot. Again, there's just more and more information being given to us in this without like information without a lot of explanation we could mm-hmm, say that mm-hmm. much because this light this yellow light that we've been seeing in this water and everything it's it becomes humanoid and it's yeah. almost like a white light which we didn't because we didn't get this before no right well we sort of did because when they defeat um the other monster it's like there's another monster inside of it so we had we had some sort of idea of inkling of that what we were seeing was an aspect of this creature, but that maybe it was like somehow imprisoned inside. It was it was kind of along those yeah. lines. It was a little bit less obvious. Okay, okay. I almost made a Mr. Chicane. I don't feel so good joke, but I, oh <laughs> I kind of regret it now. And you're about to be banished to the shadow. I know. Them. Yeah. <laughs> Jk, Jk. But yeah, I mean, we have some we have some gist of that. Maybe it wasn't as simple as just killing the monster that there's some kind of purification maybe that's happened that then allows this this creature free it does result in its its death or still whatever whatever that disintegrating is i think we'll describe that as death Um, yeah it's not quite as dark as like when you read the uh player's guide for like original mario and you're like oh the citizens of mushroom kingdom were turned into blocks that then you've been barreling through these worlds breaking so Wait, it's what? like not it. oh yeah no that's like a real thing it's on like like oh, the no. early early mario like little booklet that came with the game it was like citizens of the mushroom kingdom like got tr- transformed into like monsters and blocks and stuff and you're like oh those things that we've been we've been punching them like and jumping on their heads yeah. oh no I didn't yeah. know that. So it's like just so it's not that. Let's sorry to listen. I've brought a bummer into the show. I'm bringing it back. Let's. I'm gonna be thinking away. about that all day now. <laughs> listen. Hopefully somebody is listening to the show right now and is yelling, "No, you're full of shit. That was fake. Somebody made that up." And I hope that's true. But that's what I've been led to believe for like ten years. We can double check it. Don't worry about it. I'm sure it's a, I'm sure it's a lie. Don't even worry about it. This light person was not a member of the Mushroom Kingdom. Well, and they were they were not mad about being disintegrated. Yeah, so, right. like somehow yes. maybe they were they being relieved. freed from from something. Yeah. I mean, like I I don't want to. I had kind of been thinking along those lines, but um, one of our our friends, uh, Emmanuel, had been talking about about this, and and he thinks that maybe this is what happens when these Sylvanians go feral as they as they described it when they're oh. away from the light of Sylvain for too long mm-hmm. which I thought was an, an interesting possibility yeah that's very interesting there's definitely there's definitely about something about that last scene that yeah made me think that for for this creature or this being it was 
a release uh, mm-hmm. because because it wasn't it was that like that acknowledgement of like okay this is okay um, yeah. yeah, and you really don't do that if you if you don't want to die. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean they, they could have like, like oh, given you. them a spectral finger or something. You know, right? Like... Exactly. <laughs> or like try to swipe at him one more right. time or something yeah. like yeah. that, or somehow communicate like, "Hey, what the what the heck, man?" <laughs> like anything. <laughs> Take a line from Duck. Yeah, <laughs> but instead, right? It seemed at peace with. Mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. all of this this just this that this kooky saga had finally come to an end which then for me begs the question like later on because the next scene that we then get are all these little character vignettes of everyone kind of going yeah. back to their own mm-hmm. place but like how did everyone react when they got to the water park the next day and they're like oh <laughs> it's destroyed as soon as they started describing it like breaking up the slides i was like uh oh yeah. well now this whole plan is Listen, you, there's one thing to, like, refill a pool. It's another to have to rebuild yeah. some dope yeah. slides that were going all over the park. Yeah. Name, the name H2O that was fun is now that extremely <laughs> fitting. Just really underline that was. Yes. <laughs> but you're totally right. Hopefully, maybe maybe in the next episode or something, we'll get some, uh, some quick background yeah. on, like, oh, there's a newspaper and sitting on the table that says things like we still don't know who fucked up the water park yeah I, like, I, I, close the yeah, season freak early. accident at you know <laughs> yeah i assume park. they would they would think it was like a, a what do you call the pop-up like, tornadoes there's a term for them oh. there are these tornadoes that that touch down for like a hot second and then are gone yeah, again it's oh. not like a dust devil yeah. those are in the yeah but there is there's a there's a, a name for those yeah a tasmanian devil a little furry guy mm-hmm. showed up. Um, yeah, that that was you guys. We just blew the door off of this one. <laughs> Tasmanian devil Taz. It's in his name. Um, but no, I, that was what I was wondering too. If they would, I mean, I guess like you would have to chalk it up to, in like very bad weather. Yeah, yeah. Localized entirely within H two O. Yeah, I mean, speak speaking of trying to explain something. Like the the duck's excuse of that he was rescuing a baby bear from a river. Oh yes, when he comes home and his neighbor is there his trying to leave neighbor. him groceries. It's a park ranger; he can get away with it. Totally, because who who's gonna check? Are you gonna check, Mister Tarkesian? Also, thank you so much for my groceries. That was extremely kind of you. I love this little interaction between the two of them, and this kind of intriguing little bit of information. We seem to get about Mr. Leo Tarkesian and his knowledge of sword fighting. Yeah. And <laughs> he, he, duck, you tried to hide it. You, you got caught. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm very curious about this. Also, also, shout out to Griffin for the payoff on this NPC that that Griffin threw at him. <laughs> yeah. Way earlier that he's like, that oh no, threw at him? yeah, yeah. I'm gonna remember that, and I'm gonna do something with it. <laughs> and, and this is a new, different way where we're getting some dub collaboration between them. Keep mm-hmm. everybody keeping each other on their toes. The game keeping everybody on their toes. I'm not sure where this voice came from. This voice and accent came from for this character, yeah. but I really, really like it. I do too. It was, it was like vaguely. It, it gave me like brooklyn vibes but yeah. it wasn't yeah. quite brooklyn yeah it, it was maybe queens a little yeah. Bit queens. yeah yeah that he had like maybe moved from another city and was is like now just wants to take it easy in this little town of kepler is it bad that now all i could think about is the like old super mario movie 
Like the live action one. <laughs> Bless it. Probably not the visual image that anyone wants, but oh, but it's happening it's now. Happening. That's that's where we're at. Enjoy it, everybody. Lean into it. <laughs> I did. I did enjoy Duck suggesting that he start locking his door, as if the water monster can't f him up when he's just making tea. <laughs> like the lock is not going to help. I took but... it more. I took it more of like who who knows yeah who that's knows true, what yeah. kind of it was still solid advice but I was like most yeah. of the stuff you fought so far that's probably not gonna help. It, it did also though give me this moment where that I always love about characters where it, it, there are these very insular moments where you get them caring about these very small communities and that's like what mm-hmm. Duck yeah. it, it made me remember there's a Hawkeye comic series that's basically all about mm-hmm. like Hawkeye taking care of this like apartment complex mm-hmm. and okay. and that's what i loved so much about like that character and that's what i love so much about duck is that like not only does he want to like obviously kind of save his own skin to some extent but yeah. he cares about he he's the type of character that doesn't care about saving the world he cares about saving this community and protecting yeah. this yeah. community and that was one of those yes. moments that moment where he said like maybe you should start locking your door like made me go okay this is where duck's heart is yeah i love that yeah that's a very good point yeah i think it i think it it sets up a higher stakes when the scale is smaller Mm -hmm. weirdly Mm -hmm. like i mean i think you would say well you know saving the world is like a way bigger thing but not just saving the world but trying to save a couple of people and not have them be collateral damage is actually way harder than saving the whole world on some level right I feel like the words saving the world is like this intangible thing. Yeah. Like it gets to a point where it's so big, it's almost meaningless. If that makes sense, like as shitty as that sounds when I'm like, saving the world means nothing. It's an abstract. That's exactly it. Versus, hey, Mr. Tarkeesian might get hurt. Yeah. It's like, no, I I never, ever want that to happen. That's something that you can immediately address. That's something that you say, I can stop that from happening. Yeah. Plus, it would bring him his uh, his wildberry fruit loops. Oh my god! <laughs> that was such a good moment. <laughs> Thank you for looking out, Mister Tony. <laughs> You're the real hero here. <laughs> and then we go over to speaking of sweet characters, sweet side characters that we love. I, I now I imagine Kirby is Tom Holland, and he is a million times <laughs> even cuter than he was before. So thank you and bless everybody who has uh, been entertaining us and letting us just go off on dumbass tangents. <laughs> Because Kirby is here with Agent Dale Cooper. Yeah, poor poor Ned. Isn't this just his luck that he he's he's just fought this massive monster. He's coming. <laughs> he's finally coming home, soaking yeah. wet, and somebody's on his case about stuff he's behind on. Mm-hmm. That is that is a weirdly relatable experience. And not only like on his case about like, hey, you were supposed to give me this video, but also like, why are you all wet? Yeah. You know what, Stern? Back off. First of all. <laughs> Yeah, you're in my house, and it was good to see. Like, I think you saw that sort of very charming facade drop for a for a hot yes. second mm-hmm. of Ned just being like, it. "No, you're in my place. You're you're yes. invading my privacy." Like, like without saying, I just fought a giant water monster and almost <laughs> died. You know, like his patience is gone. Yeah, um, and then it, and then of course. It comes right back up again, you know, like, oh, Uh I was just, that was a bit, you know, but for for that hot (laughs) second, you saw that sort of, that real emotion and real frustration that he had, um, which was a very, very cool moment. Yeah. And what a good character choice. I loved that. 
because you're totally right it focuses and lands on how much how good ned is at always being on mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of artifice there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh then as far as the video does go you know kirby gave him what he had so girls please uh help me understand this a little bit more even as i listen to it twice so there's there is a whole video but even the one that Stern has, one, they, he can't hear it. So he, like, there wasn't, the mic wasn't connected. So yeah, there is right. no sound. So he cannot hear. He can't hear him talking to Barclay, but he knows he was talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. But so there isn't anything super damning on here, right? Like, it's no. not good, but there isn't anything. It could have been worse because you okay. don't see, Barclay is off screen. So you never see yes. him you don't see as him himself and you don't see him yeah. transform. Yeah. So it could have been a lot worse. Okay. Right? It's still not okay. great. But yes, all things considered, <laughs> still bad. Could be way worse. Uh, but similar to Ned's mask kind of slipping, uh, even Stern himself, it's kind of obvious that he's he's been trying to play along with Ned here. Yeah. And when it seems like Ned isn't going to play ball in return, this is where he starts pulling out the big guns. And funnily enough, leading or lending itself to what Victoria said earlier was that even Ned Chicane sounds like a bullshit name he just came up with. <laughs> Uh, Stern lets us know that the name Nedjacane is pretty new. Yeah. He doesn't have other background for him. So, another mystery. And I will also say in that moment, um, <laughs> when Stern asks if he's had more interaction with this, with this creature and he says no, Griffin describes Stern pinching his nose. And you can hear <laughs> Griffin is doing it too. And yeah. I wondered... <laughs> I was like, did he literally, like, instinctively, <laughs> literally in his real life do that and then just decide to add it to the character? Because you can hear him doing it, yeah. but it's one of those where I'm like, I don't know if he's doing it because the character did it or if the character's doing it because he just IRL right. did it. <laughs> I hope it's the latter. I think I think this is uh, very relatable to Griffin's life experience of, of, of trying to extract <laughs> information um, from from his family yeah. <laughs> that they're not, yeah. they're not willingly giving. <laughs> Well, and again, and even, you know, we've all been fortunate enough to get to watch these boys play these games live. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where I was like, this could just be a real thing that Griffin did and then decided to give to the character because some of the reactions that all of them have to each other, of course, but specifically Griffin as the person running the game. They're a special gift. (laughs) Yeah, I think you can't hear it in his voice until you've seen him do it. And then you're like, oh, suddenly everything makes way (laughs) more sense. (laughs) There's so much that just opens up. You wouldn't think. It's one of those things I think a lot of people, especially if they don't listen to a lot of podcasts, might not understand why you would go watch people record an audio (laughs) medium. It literally adds so much to it, It even then just in listening to it afterward. Because you're like, oh, no, I've seen them do this. I know what they're (laughs) doing. (laughs) So let's wrap this up. We've got Duck going home. Thank goodness. He's got some Fruit Loops he can eat. We have Ned going home. He can't eat anything right away because Stern is here. Ugh. Maybe Kirby ordered a pizza. And then luckily, most importantly, oh, thank God, our Sylvanian families can eat. We go back to the lodge. (laughs) The scene when Griffin describes everybody outside, like, as Barclay is turning the, uh, the, the well back on yeah to me it looks straight up like a pool party like everybody's <laughs> in like their sweet suits Probably. they've got like their their blow-up pizza and their blow-up <laughs> giant swan and like their drinks with little umbrellas in it yeah there's a table of mai tais like everybody <laughs> is so excited jake cool eyes Who- definitely has like that 90s like bright teal and purple cup design yes. but it's it's yes. like his yes. his 
swim trunks or whatever. <laughs> and he is Absolutely. definitely going to do a cannonball. Yes. Like, into the hot springs. Like, he's getting hyped up. People are hyping him about up about it. Everybody is living their best life right now over at the lodge. Even Danny and Aubrey, who are not at the pool party yet. And it's so clever, like, hopping over to these girls talking. We do get that sense, because of the way Trav plays it, that they are in the middle of this conversation. That they yeah. they have both been sitting here talking. Right. Aubrey's been exp- describing the evening to her. Listen to all the sweet stuff I did. <laughs> it's very cute. It's very charming. Yeah. I am, I am personally, I want to put this on record now that, so Aubrey is unlocking all of these other powers. I am extremely eager for the inevitable earth, wind, and fire jokes that are going to come in future from Travis. We don't know what the other powers are going to be, but I believe in Travis McElroy (laughs) that this will happen. (laughs) That's your new shirt. I believe in Travis McElroy. (laughs) From the man who brought us the Aqualung joke. (laughs) Everybody just remember, it was episode 26 of Romancing the Zone, where Anne brought it up. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think this is, aside from this being, like, really a sweet, another sweet sort of domestic moment of Aubrey and Danny sort of building this relationship that they've made a promise that they're going to have some pool party time together. Yeah. Which is is very sweet. Um, We also get, like, a really important piece of information about Sylvain in the middle of this, um, when... Uh, they're discussing it and Danny asks about Sylvain and what it was like when they were over yeah. there and she mentions the corruption beyond the city's borders yes right. she's like whoa major bombshell in the middle of this conversation yeah because this is like, the first we've heard of this right screech those tires pump the brakes yeah gonna need to hear more about that yeah and it certainly does lend some credence to any theories about you know, the, the access to the crystal is very limited. It's, yes. it's rationed. Like, people's food is effectively rationed. And right. now we know that outside of the city, very, very bad things are happening. So um, right. any any theories about these abominations being Sylvanians who are basically starving and have gone feral uh, starts to sound a lot more believable yeah. in light of this information. Yeah. It reminds me of, and I'm not going to be able to think of the term, but, like, I don't think it's a siege when... Like, in, in wartime, like, when people will, like, essentially blockade a city or, mm-hmm. you know that's what I mean? Siege. Like, you cut off. Yeah, that's Is a it siege. a siege? Yeah. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm very good at war. Um, <laughs> it, it just makes me then wonder, like, are there other cities? Mm-hmm. So, defo a lot more to learn mm-hmm. regarding Sylvain. But unfortunately, all of, all of that information is interrupted because... In the best possible way. Who walks in the door, battered and wounded in various yeah. ways. But Mama, who's been gone missing for a minute, you know how many weeks now in in game time? Yeah, I love first of all that you can hear Trav gasp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was very good. Yes, it was the yeah. softest little instinctual gasp, and it hit me. <laughs> it's very very slight. Because I did the same thing. I was like, wait a minute, yeah. is that like? <laughs> You gasping with Travis is perfect. Uh, and you said earlier, you said what the fuck out aloud with Duck. And at the end here, I had a moment where I said out loud to myself, Mama's home, just moments before Griffin had Danny do the same. <laughs> yeah. So I love that all three of us were reacting with the boys, with the story, yeah. mm-hmm. as it's unfolding for all of us. That is, I think, my, my favorite thing about this method of storytelling, the system of storytelling, that the characters 
and the people who are playing them are encountering this information in real time the same way that yeah. we are because Absolutely. it just like because then it feels very participatory for for me as an audience member that you know like I say something out loud and then they say it on the podcast yeah. Like, oh yeah okay so we both reacted the same way mm-hmm. and I I love that aspect no I do too it sounds like it feels like you are there with them yeah that you are engaging with them um i was talking about this even last night while i was live streaming it was playing video games on twitch and it's there are certain games where it's so much more fun to me to do that with an audience because it's fun to talk to people while it's happening and to play this game i've never played before and to have all these exciting things happen that are surprising it's fun to do that with other people and you know some people in the chat are also seeing it for the first time some people already know so they know what to expect and I, I feel similarly with this. I feel like it's that same kind of thing. Griffin is the one who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, right. And that puts him in this this weird position of it being a lot of pressure, which I think he may not always yeah. get credit for because everyone wants to say like, well, he's the one in charge. But at the same time, you know, he doesn't know what the, the players are going to throw at him. Exactly. And he always has to seem like nothing is a surprise. Like he always has yes. to be prepared for these situations, which is, you know, he's really in the hot seat and kind of by himself and isolated oh, in, yeah. a, in a weird way, um, which I appreciate from him. Yes. Yeah, running running a game like this in any way can be extremely isolating because you, you have to be able to be on your toes and react, but mm-hmm. you need to make sure that that reaction is still organic and, mm-hmm. yeah. and doesn't feel pre-planned, even though it, it's kind of pre-planned, but it's, it's a whole weird rigmarole of wanting to create an experience for your players you know that they enjoy and then on top of that you know this being a recorded medium wanting to make good radio basically yes Mm -hmm. so it's absolutely like doing this dance on the ledge almost you know it's yeah and we all know how we feel on this show we feel like his dance has been beautiful you're doing great sweetie (laughs) (laughs) that's good form you've got we we love and appreciate all of the McElroys. Yes, in this house and their characters. <laughs> in this house, this is a this is a strictly we appreciate the McElroy house. <laughs> and hell, what a reveal! She didn't bust in on movie night, but she did get here just in time for the pool party. Right? Yes, but, but she has to go we'll to the, go the quick quick trip to the hospital. So I think that's kind of where we can we can close out our own mm-hmm. convo as far as this crazy good episode goes. Where was she and what was she doing? That is the one thing about going back to bi-weekly. Man, those cliffhangers are hurting mm-hmm. a lot more. Ooh. They hold some... Whoop. I almost said... You know what? I'm swerving back into it. They hold some water. <laughs> That's going to do it for us. Just kidding. Uh, for real, though, is there anything uh, we missed or breezed over that you girls would like to return to? Uh, I can't think of anything. I think we covered it pretty thoroughly, honestly. Yeah, I think we covered, I think we covered the entirety of my notes, which I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great. This episode left us wanting for nothing as far as conversation goes. Uh, but it sounds like that is going to do it for us. Though before we go, I'm going to take it back over to talking about appreciation for a moment because you girls have a new show that you're about to launch that dwells on that topic, yeah? Yeah, we are launching with a new podcast. It's me and Emily as hosts um, on Tuesday, we hope, this Tuesday, which will be the, the day after this episode comes out if you're listening on Monday. Um, and it is called Guilty Treasures. Um, and the concept basically is that we're going to have a different guest every episode on to talk about an obscure, weird, <laughs> unpopular thing that they're really passionate about. Yeah, so it's sort of interview format, but basically instead of interviewing them about themselves, it's about this 
passion that they have that maybe in other opportunities they don't get to talk about a lot. So it's really just getting people to open up about things that have affected them in in a really positive way, uh, but they just might not have had a platform or, you know, or any other reason to, to talk about it more freely before. I've been hearing about this, like, as it's been being created, so I'm excited to get to listen to it. Yeah, it should be up on Tuesday. Um, if you if you want to preemptively follow the Twitter, where we'll put it out, like, we'll tweet it out when it's live, uh, that's at TreasuresCast on Twitter. Uh, and we will, you know, right now it's just, it's just a Twitter account, but tomorrow, <laughs> if this goes out on Monday, tomorrow it'll have the episode, and that'll be very fun. Yeah. Awesome, Yeah. Let's all go check out Treasures Cast and look forward to the show because let's face it, we could all stand to hear some more nice things. Uh, and you know what else we love hearing? We love hearing from you guys. That's right, it's poll time. <laughs> and I think the one we did last week was one of my favorites. Okay, so our poll last time was who would you choose to direct an amnesty film? And we had offered Christopher Nolan, Wes Anderson, Hayao Miyazaki, and then we had a fourth option for you guys to respond to us. Right. That's the one. And as far as the numbers go, Hayao Miyazaki did take the win with 48% of the votes. Nice. Right? That would be a dope and very sweet movie. And then you guys killed it on the write-in responses. We had Joel Schumacher. We had Taika Waititi. We had Guillermo del Toro. Mm. Uh, Edgar Wright. There was a lot of Edgar Wright. There's 90s Tim Burton. I love that that's the caveat. Very specific, yeah. (laughs) And you know what? I agree. So thank you for voting. Thank you for all of those responses. You are clearly our people. This week, we talked so much about merch in this episode. We want to know which t-shirt you would most like to wear. We'll have that poll up over on Twitter at Romancing Zone. Thank you again, Emily, so much for joining us. Yes. Where can people find you? Yeah, thank you for having me on. You, uh, if you want to find all of the weird ramblings I do and art and everything, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Corrupted Gem. I make a comic called Steamed Veggies that goes up every Friday, which is at uh, steamedveggies.artfulhypothesis.com. And I actually have been doing a sort of bi-weekly a video game podcast with my friend Kev called Bonus Stage, and you can find that wherever you find podcasts. Awesome. Everyone, please go check Emily, and we will check you maybe not in two weeks, because we're all going to be in San Diego, but we'll figure it out. I can tell you one thing. Brittany's going to be back, Mama's going to be back, and it's going to be dope. So we'll check you later. Till then, thank you so much for listening. I'm Nell Bailey. I'm Ann Kern. I'm Emily Kernamus. And we've been Romancing the Zone. (laughs) 